0: Thank you for tuning in to our North Point Community Church podcast. Wherever you are in your faith journey, we pray that as you listen to this message, you will be encouraged and empowered. If you would like more information about our community, visit our website at ncc.team. I'm going to be sharing about five decisions for destiny. Five decisions for destiny. These, these are decisions that we all need to make in order to fulfill the purpose and the plan of God. And, and before we even begin to talk about these decisions, first of all, we need to just understand that God does have a plan, right? He does have a plan. He does have a purpose. And according to his word in Jeremiah 29, 11, the scripture says this, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a hope, And a future. Okay, come on, just just, just say that to yourself right now. Say, God has a plan. You're just telling yourself that God has a plan. And say, it's a good plan. plan. It's for, He's gonna give you a hope, He's gonna give you a future. Okay, that's what God has for us. We need to know God has a plan, there is a purpose for our lives. Actually, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, in the amplified version of the Bible says this. For we are His workmanship, okay, His own masterwork, a work of art. That is who we are. We are the masterpiece of God. We are His creation, His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, the Scripture says, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used, For good works which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set so we would walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us. Come on. Not only did God create you and craft you, God also created and crafted your pathway he made you. You are the work of his hands. You were created brand new in Christ Jesus. But he didn't stop there and just say, hey, I hope you can figure out the path. I hope you can walk it. No, he said, I made you and I created the pathway for you to walk. And I created that pathway before you ever got to the place that you are right now. See, that's how good and faithful God is. God God made us and He made the pathway. So so we know that God has a plan for our life. God has a destiny for each and every one of us to walk into. But here's the thing you have to walk into it. Can I tell you that you will never wander into your destiny? You will only walk into your destiny. You see, you walk with purpose. You 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 you. Whenever you wander, you're just drifting. You're you're just you're just you know. When I used to love what my mom say. Whenever we would go into stores, we'd be shopping. And if and if you know my mom, she's a professional shopper. And so we would go into stores all the time. We had no intention of being in the store. We were not going to buy anything. We were just going. And whenever the 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 worker would come ask, can I help you? My mom would say this. No, we're just browsing. We're just browsing. What did that interpret to an eight year old boy? That means we're about to wander around the store for an hour with no purpose whatsoever. We don't even know if we're looking for anything, we, so we never know if we found it. We are just browsing. We're just wandering. But you know, you cannot walk into your purpose and your destiny just browsing, just wandering. You have to walk into the purpose uh, that God has for your life with intentionality. You see, God's so good, God, God will create the path, and God, God will guide you along the path. But hear me clearly, God will not walk the path for you. He, he, will, he will create the path. You can invite him to help you and assist you and strengthen you and guide you along the path. But God will not walk the path for you. You have to decide to do that. And so uh, today I'm going to give you five questions that we need to answer. These are, these are the five decisions that we have to make in order for us to live the life that God created us to live and to fulfill his destiny for us. Here's the first question. What price am I willing to pay? The first question that we have to answer is what price am I willing to pay? In Luke chapter 14 verse 25, I'm reading this out of the Message translation of the Bible and It says this, one day when large crowds of people were walking along with him, Jesus turned and told them, anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even one's own self, cannot be my disciple. Anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me cannot be my disciple. Is there anyone here who planning to build a new house doesn't first sit down and figure out the cost so you'll know if you can complete it? If you only get the foundation laid and then run out of money, you're going to look pretty foolish. Everyone passing by will poke fun at you. He started something he could not finish. See, the question is, is can you let go of what's most important to you for what's actually most important? Can you let go? It's what Jesus is asking here. Can you let go? Of what's most important to you for what's actually most important. Because Jesus says here, if you're going to follow me, you have to be willing to let go of everything in your life. And he says here, even your own self. Even your own desires, even your own dreams, even your own opinions and your own way. Jesus says, if you are going to follow me, then you must be willing to pay the price of being my disciple. And he says, because if you're not willing to pay that price, you might start out on the journey. But you didn't really count the cost. You didn't really know that it was going to cost you everything. You didn't really know that you were going to have to go all in with Jesus, and that meant forsaking everything else in your life. And so the first question that we have to answer is, am I willing to pay the price for my destiny? You see, this, de- this decision needs to be made in the beginning of the journey. It has to be made in the beginning of the journey. You don't make this decision when you get to the adversity. You answer this question for the adversity you you don't you don't you you don't make this decision whenever you get to the fork in the road you don't ask yourself this question when you were in the middle of the fight No, you ask yourself this question and you make this decision before the journey begins because you're making this decision for the adversity. You're making the decision now for the trouble that is to come. You're making the decision now because you know there is going to be a trial that you encounter and when you encounter that trial, that's not the time to ask this question. I answered this question years ago so when I come to the adversity and I come to the trial, I have already already answered it, I am willing to pay the price for what's actually most important. See, there was a time when Jesus had lots of followers and Jesus was talking about himself and he was saying, I'm the living water and I'm the true bread that came down from heaven and everybody was cool with that. Good teaching, yeah, living water, woo. true bread, yes, Jesus, but then Jesus flips the script. He says, if you're going to follow me, that means you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. John 6, 66 says this, after this, a lot of his disciples left. I mean, oh, we, we were cool with the whole living water and true bread of heaven. Now, okay, we, we could work our way through that. But now you're talking about eating your flesh and drinking your blood, and we don't fully understand that. How many of you know sometimes we get caught up trying to understand things that we could never understand in the first place? They, they couldn't understand in that moment what Jesus was saying. But now we understand it. We understand that Jesus was just talking about communion. You have to be willing to eat my flesh and drink my blood to be a part of this covenant. you got to make a commitment for the covenant. It says, after this, a lot of his disciples left. They no longer wanted to be associated with him. Then Jesus gave the 12, his 12 disciples, those that were closest to him, their chance. And he said this, do you also want to leave? Saying, hey, now's your opportunity. They're all walking. This is a tough teaching. This is a difficult teaching. That's what they were all saying. This is too tough. This is so difficult. And they begin to separate themselves from Jesus saying, I, this, is, this is too much. I, he, maybe he's not who we, we thought he was. By, by what he's saying right now, they begin to separate themselves. So Jesus looked at the 12 and said, hey, do you want to go with him? Now's your chance. Everybody else is leaving. You can leave too. But Peter replied this, master, to whom would we go? You have the words of real life, eternal life. We've already committed ourselves confident that you are the Holy One of God. What was Peter saying? Peter was saying, we've already made a decision. We've already answered that question. We are willing to pay the price. History tells us that 11 of the 12 disciples would, would be martyred. 11 of the 12, only John would not be martyred. They they would give their life, being crucified, being crucified upside down, being thrown off of the highest point of the temple. They would give their life. What would they do? They would pay the ultimate price. Why? Because they decided a long time ago, here in John chapter 6, we see evidence of it. When everybody else was leaving, they said, we don't have anywhere else to go. You are the one that changed our life. You are the one that gives us real life. We know that the water that you give, it is living water, and the bread that you serve, it is true bread, and we might not understand everything that you're saying, and we might not understand how this is all going to play out, but we are willing to pay the price to be associated with you. We are willing to pay the price to follow you. We have already made that decision, so it doesn't matter who leaves us, and it doesn't matter what threat is given to us, we are not going to turn our backs on you. We are going all the way with you we've already made that decision. See, the only way you get to your destiny is when you make this decision. Am I willing to pay the price? We don't want to be the people that start well but don't finish well. We don't want to be the people that lay a good foundation, but then we never build anything on it. And people are walking by and they're saying, Isn't that the person that said they were going to serve God, that they were going to live for God? Isn't that the person that said they were going to change their life? Isn't that the person that said they were going to go on this journey? Isn't that the person that said they were going to build the kingdom of God? Isn't that the person, well, I haven't seen any action over there, I haven't seen anything going? We don't want to be those people. We want to be people that start the journey and finish the journey because we were willing to pay the price. Your destiny demands that answer. Here's the second question that we have to ask ourselves is this. What foundation am I willing to lay? What foundation? Not just what price am I willing to pay, but what foundation am I willing to lay? In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, once again in the message translation, it says this. Why are you so polite with me? is what Jesus says. Always saying, yes, sir, and that's right, sir. But never doing a thing, I'll tell you. These words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundation words, words to build a life on. If you work the words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who dug deep and laid the foundation of his house on bedrock. When the river burst its banks and crashed against the house, nothing could shake it because it was built to last. You see, Jesus' words are not intended for mere modification, but they are intended for our foundation. You see his words are not just something that that we take and they are they are additional things they're not additional things they're foundational things. They are not things that you just get to pick and choose. It's not it's not the it's not Jesus is not the Chinese buffet, okay, where you get to skip over that and take a little bit of this and and you you don't want any of that, but you'll take a lot of that. That's not the way. Jesus says, "Hey, these words of mine, they are all foundational." They are all foundational. They are foundational words. And uh, and, and, then Jesus says, The the smart carpenter, it says there, the smart carpenter dug deep. Smart carpenter dug deep. Well, you are building your life. Can we just agree for a moment that that's not a small thing? You understand, you only get one shot at this. (laughs) One shot. You are building your life. And, And so this is not a small thing. And so then it requires us to ask, Well, what kind of life do you want to live? If you only get one shot, what kind of life do you want to live? Because here's the truth this morning. You want to write this down. The more abundant you want your life to be, the more anchored your foundation needs to be. The more abundant you want your life to be, the more anchored your foundation needs to be. What foundation are you willing to? To lay, And if you want an abundant life, if you want a life that is thriving and flourishing, if you want a life that influences and makes an impact, if you want a life that builds the kingdom, if you want a life that is going to give you a healthy family, if you want this life, if this is the kind of life you want to build, then you have to ask this question, what foundation am I willing to lay? Because laying the foundation is not easy. It's not easy to lay a great foundation. You know the the giant redwood trees uh, there in northern California. They they can grow three hundred and fifty feet tall. That is mind blowing. That, that's a football field tall. That's a hundred yard a hundred yards tall. These trees these trees can grow. And it's interesting about their their roots is that. Uh, their roots, and some of these trees, the roots do not go any deeper than six feet. 350 feet in there, a football field high, but they don't go any deeper than than six feet. But they can stretch out from the tree up to 100 feet in every direction around the tree. So these roots go out. So if you just go from, from left to right, you're talking... 200 plus feet, these roots are going out to be able to sustain the tree. Now, how many understand when those roots are going out 200 feet, on 100 feet on each side, how many understand that they are pushing through some adversity? They are having to push through some difficulty. They're pushing down six to eight feet into the ground and pushing out 100 feet on every side. It's not that the ground just goes, oh, hey, giant redwood tree, come Come right this way. We'll make room for you. That's not what happens, and that's not what's going to happen for your foundation either. He says you've got to be willing to dig out the foundation. You don't just get to say, man, I would love to build a, life, a great life, and all of a sudden life just goes, whoop, here's a beautiful foundation for you to build whatever you want on. No, you have to be willing to do the hard work of digging out the foundation to build the life that you want to build. You see, your foundation is what makes your elevation possible. It's your foundation. So how high do you want to go in life? How high do you want to go? What do you want to accomplish for God? What do you want to to achieve? When you stand before God, what do you want God to say to you? Okay, how high do you want to go? Well, when I answer that, my elevation tells me about my foundation. The higher I want to go, then the more i got to dig the more i got to be willing to build that foundation. And can I tell you one more thing about the foundation? Building a foundation is not a one-time thing. This is not, I came to Jesus 12 years ago, and I built a foundation. Because this is what Jesus says, when you work these words into your life. I've been preaching for 22 years now. There are still things that I'm working into my life right now. Why? Because God is wanting me to elevate in another area of my life. God's wanting me to go to the next level in some area of my life. So whenever I know that, oh, God's adding, he's adding a new wing on my life. I got to, I got to go, I got to start digging a new foundation over here because God's wanting to build something in my life. And if God's wanting to elevate me over here, oh, that means I got to start digging. What am I doing? I'm working these words into my life. Maybe words that I didn't have revelation on, maybe words that I weren't ready for, I wasn't pre- prepared for, words that I didn't understand, words that I, 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 I maybe I have the, the kindergarten version over here. But but now God's getting ready to take me into the university version over here. And so now I have greater understanding, and I'm trying to build something. So I've got to keep digging. It's not a one-time thing. This was not the first book you read on discipleship when you first got saved and said, "Whoop, that's my foundation. For the rest of my life, the foundation has been laid. No, 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 and no. You will consistently dig in your life, laying the foundation because God's wanted to continually elevate you in other areas of your life. So what foundation am I willing to lay in this season? What foundation am I willing to lay in this decade? I'm not trying to build on last decade's Man, I sure hope I'm working new things into my life. I hope I'm not hanging on the same words that I, that, that I was building on 10 years ago. I hope that there's something new in my heart and in my life. So you have to ask yourself that. What, what kind of foundation are you willing to lay? Here's the third question that you've got to answer. And that is, what promises am I willing to replay? What price am I willing to pay? What foundation am I willing to lay? And what promises am I willing to replay? The Bible says this in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6 And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I am giving you today, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay, here's the the, the interesting thing here is that uh, God's telling them, hey, I, I want you to commit wholeheartedly to the commands that I'm giving you. These are the instructions that I'm giving you. These are the principles that I'm giving you to live by. These are the commands that I'm laying out. And I want you to remind yourself. I want you to tell them uh, to your kids when you're going to bed. I want you to talk about these things around the dinner table. And, And he's talking about these commands. But here's the interesting things about the commands is that the commands were surrounded in this portion of Scripture by the promises. Because I just read verses 6 through 9. Now let me read you the promises of God that are found in verses 2 and 3. And then right below this in 10 and 11. Listen to what the scripture says. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy long life. Come on, how many of you want a long, good, prosperous life? Come on, raise your hand. Okay, great. Three of you. Fantastic. like, Come on, pastor. I'm taking notes. I'm trying to golly. Now you're criticizing me. All right, verse 3. Listen closely, Israel. And be careful to obey, watch this, then all will go well with you. Come on, how many of you want all to go well with you? Come on, long life, everything's going well. (laughs) And you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. Now skipping down to verse 10. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods which you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig. And you will eat from vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. God says, I'm going to give you a long life. I'm going to give you a good life I'm going to make sure that everything prospers from your children all the way down to to the crops of your field and he says not only am I going to make sure you prosper, he says you're going to enter in and there's going to be cities that you did not build and they're going to be there for you. Not only that, you're going to go in and you're going to walk into houses that are stocked with stuff for you. You're going to drink water out of wells that you did not even dig. God's saying that is the reward for you, let me understand, sometimes we get stuck on the commands and forget the promises. And if you get stuck on the commands and you forget about the promises, then the commands of God can become a burden because the the, the, the intention of the commands are to take you into the promises. God says, if you obey this, then this is what I'm going to give you. If you walk in this way, this is where I'm going to carry you. If you will do this, then this, it, this is going to be your reward. See, in the Bible, in Hebrews, it says that if you are going to follow God, if you're going to come after God, then you have to believe that he exists, number one. And you know the second thing that it says? It, it doesn't say you have to believe that he's holy. You have to believe that, he, that he's perfect. You have to this is what it says. You have to believe that he will reward those who diligently seek after him. That's what the scripture says. You have to believe that that is in God's heart. That is who he is. That he is a God that wants to reward you. But sometimes we get stuck on the commands. All the things that I feel like I have to do. All the things I feel like I have to obey. And we forget about the promises. You see, sometimes we get, we get focused too much on the wrong side of things. And, 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 and instead of us looking at what we can attain, we just look at all the things that we have to complain about. Instead of seeing, man, instead of seeing, whoo, man, there are gonna be houses that I didn't build, vineyards that I didn't plant, man, God's getting ready to take me into a place where my family's going to thrive, my family's going to flourish, my relationships are going to flourish, my business is going to flourish. Man, God's got something for me on the other side of this Jordan River, on the other side of this adversity, on the other side of this trouble, on the other side of this darkness. He's got a promise that he's laid out for me and instead of seeing what I can attain, I just see all all the things that are going wrong, and I find myself complaining instead of attaining because I find myself focusing on the wrong things. I'm looking at the wrong side. I'm just looking at all the commands that he's given me. You know what that sounds like? Man, this is just so hard. You know what that sounds like? Man, this is just taking so long. Man, this just isn't what I thought it would be. When you find yourselves focusing on the wrong things, you need to remind and replay the promises of God. Don't get stuck on what you have to do. Get stuck on what God said was possible. On what God said he would do for you. Remind yourselves of the promises. Let me just give you just a few things Jesus promised. Jesus promised you rest. So what Jesus promised? Jesus said, let the weary come to me and find rest. Jesus promised you peace. He promised you joy. He promised you eternal life and abundant life. Jesus promised you power. He said, I will send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will be your power source. Those are promises that Jesus gave us. Now, we find other promises in the Word of God, promises like this, that God will finish the work that He began in all of us, that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, that we are more than conquerors, that we will find peace whenever we pray, that God is the one who will supply all of our needs according to His riches and glory, that He will give us comfort in the midst of, of our trials. So whenever you encounter problems, you should echo promises. When you encounter problems, you should echo promises. When you encounter your problems, you should echo the promises that God has already spoken to you in His Word. Just be the echo. God has already said it. You know what it is whenever you stand in a cave or you know, on a mountain, and you go, Hello! And you go. Hello, 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 hello! It's just like coming back, and you know that the echo is—it's typically like a a, mul- a multiple echo. Well, that's what you need to do when you echo the promises of God. I encounter a problem, and then I echo the promises of God. It's not just one time. I don't just say I am more than a conqueror. I say. I am more than a conqueror, more than a conqueror, more than a conqueror, more than a conqueror. I say, God will finish the work that he began in me. God will finish the work. He began in me. He will finish the work. He began. I'm going to echo the promises of God whenever I encounter problems in my life. You know, I'm going to really blow somebody's mind this morning. Right here. It's about to happen. You're going to have to put the little emoji, you know, like the brain coming out the head. It's coming right now. God didn't give you his promises for decoration. He gave you his promises for declaration. God didn't give you his promises so that you could hang them on a wall to be seen by others. He gave you his promises so that they could be tattooed on your heart and spoken by you. God God didn't give you his promises so people can come visit your house and eat dinner at your house and look up on your wall and see a a beautiful painting that has the promise of God. God didn't give you the promise so you could hang it on your wall. He gave you the promise so you could tattoo it on your heart. So in the middle of a fight, in the middle of adversity, in the middle of your trial, you could echo the promises and you can say, he will not forsake me. He will not forsake me. He will not ab- he will not abandon me he is with me even to the end of the age he is with me even to the end of the age the end of the age the end of the day he, re- he gave you his promises so that you could echo it in your moment of adversity God's promises they were specifically designed for your problems his promises weren't designed for your good days I'm understanding you don't need any promises when you're standing on top of the mountain. It's all beautiful. The promises are your reality in that moment, if you would. God's promises are specifically designed for your problem so that whenever you find yourself in the midst of the greatest problem of your life whenever you find yourself in the midst of heartbreak whenever you find yourself in the place that you never thought you would find yourself, when you find yourself standing in the midst of bankruptcy when you find yourself standing in the midst of divorce, when you find yourself standing in the midst of a failed business deal, when you find yourself in the midst of the loss of a child when you find yourself in the midst of the worst pain of your life, that's when the God God's promises are the most valuable to you because he gave you the promises for the minute that you face your greatest problem that you would know that he is with you. You would know he's empowering you. You would know that you are not alone, that he sees you, he's identified you, he hears you, and he is never going to leave you or forsake you no matter how intense your situation is. What promises are you willing to replay? You see, it's going to determine if you get to your destiny or not. What's going to be bigger, your problem or his promise? What's going to be more valuable to you? The adversity that you're in right now? The feelings that you have internally, there's no way I'm going to make it? I'm not going to get through this? I never thought I would be here. I don't know how to deal with this. It, it, what, what is going to be the, mo- the, the most important thing, the most important voice voice in your life? Are, are you going to listen to your own voice, your own fears, your own emotions, your own feelings, your own words? Or are in that moment, are you going to stand on the promises of God and you're going to echo those promises in the midst of your own pain and adversity? You see, what, what promises are you willing to replay? Replay. Oh, You might have to replay them 100 times a day. How many you you it might have to echo 10 times just on your way to work? But what promises you're willing to replay will determine what destiny you walk into. You've got to be willing to replay the promises of God. Here's the fourth question you have to ask yourself. What prayer am I willing to pray? What prayer am I willing to pray? In John 17, look at this bold prayer that Jesus prays. John 17, Jesus says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, talking about the ones that are there with him, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. <laughs> How many billions of people that Jesus is praying for right here, right? He's not just praying for his 12, his crew, his few. Okay, that's not, no, no, no. Jesus is praying for everyone who would believe the message. Okay, that would be enough right there. I mean, that's a big enough prayer. He didn't stop there. This is what he prays. I pray that they will all be one. Knowing the problems that we would face with elitism and sexism and prejudice and racism, knowing all of the things that would potentially divide us with denominations and people and and, and all these different things, knowing all of that is what just pray God, God and I pray that you would make them one. Woo, what a prayer. Not just make them one. Then Jesus gives the clarifying statement. Father, as you and I are one. Woo. Because we could define oneness the way that we, well, maybe Jesus was talking about we could just have a cup of coffee every now and then. (laughs) Jesus says, no, make them one like we're one. Like, make them the same. Give them the same heart, the same attitude, the same love. This is a bold prayer. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe You sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them. You are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Jesus was praying this prayer for you. That you would know. Listen to this. That you would know that God loves you as much as He loved His own son. Come on now. come on. that's a big prayer. That's a bold prayer. You've been through some stuff. You've been through some junk. You, you, have, made, you have made some really bad. Jesus Jesus never sinned. You sinned by, by the time you turn two. We we are sinners. We've all been through it. But Jesus prayed for you. And Jesus' prayer for you was that you would know and that you would believe that the Father loves you as much as he loved his perfect one and only son. Can we just take a moment and say that is a big prayer, that Jesus was praying for people that would exist 2,000 years after he prayed this prayer, that he was praying that we would be one. He defined one, that we would love each other the same way that the Father loved him, that we would know that's how God feels about us. That is a bold prayer. That is a bold prayer. And then let's go to James chapter five. I just talked about this a couple weeks ago as we finished our series on grit and grace, but I want to read it out of the amplified version of the Bible. It says this, therefore confess your sins to one another, your false steps, your offenses, and pray for one another that you may be healed and restored. The heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man, the believer, can accomplish much when put into action and made effective by God. It is dynamic and can have tremendous power. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, with the same physical, mental, and spiritual limitations and shortcomings. And he prayed intensely for it not to rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its crops as usual. You see, Jesus prayed big prayers and then his word here James the half brother of Jesus writes and he says your prayers ought to line up with the prayers of Jesus you need to be praying big prayers because he is a big God and it's not just up to you because here Elijah with the same limitations that we have he prayed a big prayer because he believed in a big God and the big God brought brought the big prayer into fulfillment on the earth because that's what God does God and answers big prayers because he is a big god and so we have to ask ourselves the question what prayers am i willing to pray what are you willing to dare to pray today what are you willing to invite god to be a part of in your life today you know i've discovered this that if if you're if you aren't praying for impact you're probably not making it if you're not praying for change, you're probably not seeing it. If you're not praying for courage, you're probably not getting it. So much power in our prayer. And sometimes, sometimes this is what we feel. Sometimes, sometimes we feel that our destiny is waiting on our progress. But so many times, de- your destiny is not waiting on your progress. It's waiting on your prayer. Because you could never grow enough To grow into the destiny that God has for you, you will never grow enough in your skill set, never grow enough. In your character, never grow enough. In your personality, never grow enough. In your contacts, you will never grow enough to get where God ultimately wants you to go. You see, that's why we always say here that God has to bring his super into our natural. Yeah, should we work on, on, on the, the soil of our soul? Should we do what we can do? Absolutely, we ought to work day and night on the soil of our soul, but then we understand that there uh, there is another part of this. There is a miracle part of this. There is a divine part of this. It is the part where God brings his super into our natural. We have access into things that we could have never had access into. Doors open that we could have never opened on our own. Relationships are formed that we would have never been able to get into that room, but God opened up a way. And so it brings us to this question, what prayers are you willing to pray? What prayers are you willing to pray? Because that determines the purpose and the destiny that you are actually going to live out. Here's the last thing as we close. Number five is this. What belief am I willing to betray? What belief am I willing to betray? What price am I willing to pay? What foundation am I willing to lay? What promise am I willing to replay? What prayer am I willing to pray? And what belief am I willing to betray you see there's a belief in all of us every single one of us there's a belief in every single one of us that is holding us back it's limiting our future it's hindering our growth it's suppressing our potential it's smothering our productivity and it's negating our influence i don't know what i don't know what it is for you i don't know i don't i don't know what that limiting belief is for you but But maybe it sounds something like this. I'm not strong enough, smart enough, prepared enough, patient enough, godly enough, tough enough, fun enough, pretty enough, organized enough, creative enough. Maybe it sounds like this. I'm too old, too young. I'm too strict, too nice, I'm too broken, I'm too perfect, I'm too ashamed, I'm too limited, I'm too quiet, I'm too loud, I'm too shy, too outspoken, too stressed, too cautious, too afraid, too nervous, too short, too immature, too intimidated, too optimistic, too damaged, too stretched, too fragile, too tired, too inconsistent, too boring, too busy, I'm too quick-tempered. Maybe it sounds like this, who would listen to me anyway? What do I have to offer? Why would people follow me? How could I ever make a difference? These are beliefs that you need to betray. Sometimes the problem is with these beliefs. that They've been around for so long that they've actually become friends. They've been with us for so long. For some of us, these beliefs have been, been, been around since we were four years old. Because it's something that mom or dad spoke over our life. It's something that an older sibling said to us. And we, we were just four or five years old. And, and, and that belief settled into our heart. And every moment we get in the presence of God and we're like, yeah, I'm going to believe for more. It's my year of expansion. But then we get out there and Monday shows up and the adversity of Tuesday shows up. And, And what do we revert back to? We don't revert back to the promises of God. We don't revert back to what his word says. We revert back to what our mom and dad said. Or maybe it wasn't when you were four. Maybe it was when you were 14 and you went out to make the eighth grade basketball team at your school. And the coach cut you, and he didn't just cut you from the team, he actually cut you with his words. And then everybody laughed at you and made fun of you. And today, you're 44, but you're still living under the limiting belief of what entered into your heart when you were 14 years old. See, it's time for us to betray those beliefs. It's time for you to betray those beliefs that have, that have convinced you that they're really taking care of you. I'm keeping you from embarrassing yourself again. I'm keeping you from failing again. I, I'm, I, I'm kind of the guardrails of your life so that you don't ever think you're going to get out there and really become something only to find out that you're really not who you thought you were and you really are this, and so I'm just going to keep you living in this box. You see, we know what Jesus said. Jesus said that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But most of the time, most of the time when we hear those words, we think more about our current battles and not our lifelong beliefs. But can I tell you, the enemy will use anything. He'll use tomorrow's doctor report or he'll use the words of your second grade teacher. The enemy doesn't care. The enemy will use your future failures or he'll use your childhood fears. It doesn't matter to him. He will use whatever he can use to keep your life from expanding. You see, there is some, there is some lifelong limiting beliefs in this room that need to be betrayed. You need to turn your back on those beliefs and you need to walk away. You, 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 you've had those beliefs long enough You know, I'm I'm reminded of the story when the Apostle Paul got shipwrecked and he ended up in Acts 27 and 28. He ends up on an island called Malta and he was throwing some sticks on the fire and, and there in the fire, a poisonous snake came out and it attached itself to his hand. And all the people sitting around there, they said, wow, he escaped the storm and he escaped the sea, but justice is not going to permit him to live. This man must be a murderer because they knew that poisonous snake that was hanging. The people of the island knew this man's going to be dead in minutes. The Bible says that Paul took that snake and he shook it off into the fire. And he just went about his business. And those people kept watching him go back for more for more wood and throw more wood on the fire. They kept seeing him laugh. They kept seeing joy. They, they kept seeing... That, He said, wait a minute. He should have been dead a long time ago. Why wasn't he dead? Because he decided, I'm not carrying this snake around with me. I'm not carrying this thing around with me. I'm shaking this thing off into the fire. Paul didn't just shake the snake. He shook off off the effects of the snake. He shook out the venom of that snake. He shook out everything. He said, man, it ain't, get off of me. You know what some of us do? A snake comes out of the fire. And we don't don't know that we can betray it. We don't know that we can shake it off. So we just start living with it. And it becomes a friend to us. And that snake, it becomes like a pet snake. And we start feeding it. And we start taking care of it. And it's been with us for a year or two, and it just becomes a part of who we are. It becomes, we don't even notice. We don't even know that it's a snake anymore. It just wraps itself around our hands, and it's been there for so long. We don't even know that it's there, and we just start to—it—it it beca- it, it wraps itself, and it just becomes a part of our identity, and it becomes a part of who we are, and and, and we start answering questions off what the snake told us. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm too this, I'm too that. I'm not creative enough. I'm too boring. I don't have enough experience. I'm not prepared enough. I can't, I don't have anything to say. I've only been doing this for a couple years. I I don't know what your belief is, but here's what I know. I know you have one. I know you have one. I I, I don't care how long you've been serving God. I don't care how long you've been in the ministry. New limiting beliefs keep being exposed in my heart all the time all the time because you don't even know that there becomes a part of you and I believe today God's exposing some of those limiting beliefs and he's asking his question are you willing to betray that belief today are you willing to take that and shake it off into the fire and say no no more no more of that I'm not speaking that over my life anymore I'm not believing that anymore I'm not holding on to that anymore. The same way that Paul shook that snake off into the fire, I'm shaking off that old belief. I'm shaking it off into the fire of God. I'm shaking it off into the forgiveness of God. I'm shaking it off into the power of God and I'm shaking off all the poisonous effects that come along with it. I am going to betray. And you know what? Maybe it's not one snake. Maybe, it, may, maybe you got a dozen snakes that have attacked. Maybe there are so many limiting beliefs in your life that you don't even see how it's possible that you could ever lead a small group. You don't see how it's possible that you could be a part of building the kingdom of God. You don't see how it's possible that anybody would ever listen to what you have to say. You don't see how it's possible how God could love someone like you or use someone like you. You don't even know because all of these snakes and limiting beliefs have just become such a part of your life. But today you say, I am willing to betray these beliefs so that I can have the purpose and the destiny that God has for me. Because you know what happened after Paul shook those things on the fire? Miracles happened. They came to Paul and they started talking to Paul. They said, we got somebody. I mean, you didn't die from the poison. We got somebody sick over here. I don't know if you could do anything about it. Paul said, oh yeah, I can do something about that. Miracles started happening. But the only the only way the miracle happened is because Paul was willing to betray a belief. He was willing to betray a belief because what they said, now listen, 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 listen. What they said was actually true. The accusation was true. He's a murderer. Paul was a murderer. That's what the enemy does. The enemy comes to tell you where you screwed up. He's trying to reinforce that limiting belief. And he's trying to point it back out to you. Oh, you remember, oh, you, you, you really weren't good enough. You really did fail. You really did embarrass yourself. No, you really did say that. You really did do what you promised yourself you would never ever do in your life. You actually did that. And, and you see, that's what they began to accuse him of. They began to accuse him and they said, he is a murderer and he really was a murderer. But here's what Paul had learned to do with the accusations of the enemy. Here's what Paul had learned to do because he learned this, that justice doesn't have the final word. Jesus has the final word. And when they say justice is not going to prevent him to live, he realized that in this situation, justice was powerless and Jesus was powerful. And so he shook off that old thing into the fire. And he says, I'm not living under that old label. I'm not living under that old identity. I'm not living under that old accusation, that old condemnation and shame. I'm shaking it off into the fire. I'm going to let it die right here. I am betrayed this limiting belief in my life? What are you willing to betray so that you can walk into the destiny that God has for you? I want you to stand. Here at North Point Community Church, we believe in creating Christ-centered, culture-changing community through the message of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for your support. If you would like more information, you can visit our website at ncc.team or follow us on any social media platform at cc ccnorthpoint.